I'm Vinny. And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love, and sometimes hate, of movie musicals. From Golden Age, to Disney, to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along, because this this is Backstage Biddies. Welcome back, biddies, on another fine Monday morning. Oh. And it is morning. Morning. We're recording on um, a very cold snow day kind of morning. It's so cold. And we just came off of like some really nice days. Yeah. Which just pisses me off. And it's like cold and gray and bad. Cold. It's bad out. (laughs) Yeah. Not Um, a fan. Not a fan. I need stronger coffee. Uh, I have a question for you. Yeah. Would you rather uh, East Coast or West Coast? For what? I don't know. What are the variables? For living? For visiting? You tell me. For, hmm. I think for, oh, that's tough. Because I think living, I'd probably end up doing East Coast only because I'm familiar with it. Sure. And I don't know how I would handle with fires. <laughs> fires That's and earthquakes. The thing. the thing about living in America right now is that... You Which really, natural disaster yeah. do you know how to live through? Exactly. You uh-huh. you just kind of have to... Because you're, you're going to deal with one of them. A hurricane, a forest fire, a, a drought, a, a flood, a, a, a snowpocalypse. I mean, a blizzard. Whatever it is. A you, nader. Yeah, a tornado alley. I mean, you just have to pick your disaster and decide which one you, you are most apt to live through. Earthquakes. But I think I would pick, I would live on the East Coast, but I would prefer to work on, or uh, I would live on the West Coast, but I'd prefer to work on the East Coast. Does that make sense? Do you mean like the, the theatrical work? Yeah. like I That think, makes sense. I think the vibe on the East Coast is more my speed when it comes to a work environment. That makes sense. Fast paced, uh, flashy, quick, skilled, demanding. Uh, those things all kind of play to my strengths. As far as like my work ethic, but I think living wise, I would much prefer the West Coast because like when I need peace and quiet, I need like, I mean, I need like dead silent, pitch black, like so dark in the room, you can't see your hand in front of your face. I need like a cave in the mountains secluded from the rest of humanity. That's kind valid. of quiet. Yeah. And I don't think I can achieve that anywhere on the East Coast. Cause See, it's so... and I was thinking, like, the woods in Vermont. Is... <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the East Coast is so densely populated. That's very true. That I don't think I would enjoy it there. I don't people well. Yeah. And there are places, like Vermont, I, of course. There are, you know, there are places all over the all over the the areas that you can do that in. But I think I'd probably prefer to live on the the West Coast. Also, I've not done much travel on either one. Uh, I haven't either. On either I've coast. A, I've, Maybe uh, we need to... Let's I've done travel. Very, uh, well, we've been saying I've never seen a show on Broadway. No. We need to do that. We should be fired. We're creeping up on 30 and we've never seen a Broadway show. I mean, my life is incomplete. Fired. And no day is guaranteed, so I... 
simply need to prioritize seeing a show on Broadway. Yeah. Put it on the list. We'll put it on the list. If anybody wants to uh, contribute to such an endeavor, you know where to find us on the internet. <laughs> and then we'll give you reviews. Yeah. Happy. There, you get something for your dollar. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah, also the West Coast is warm. And I am not a cold weather bird. Mm. I'm really not. I don't know why I live here. I hate... When when I wake up to weather like this, when we get a cold snap and it's like below 20 degrees, I genuinely consider every single time just packing a bag and disappearing. Hmm. Nothing, nothing makes me want to leave my home more than cold weather. Not one thing. And by leave your home, you mean, you mean skip the light fantastic out of town. Oh, yeah. Not like walk outside of your home. No, not like get out of my house and see the world. I mean, like, I want to pack up my belongings and disappear. Move. (laughs) That's valid. I get that. I hate cold weather. Cold weather just makes me want to get cozy. Speaking of cozy, we hunkered down and watched this movie. We did. Tell us what the hint is. The hint is Darbus. So obviously we're doing High School Musical. Actually, right? (laughs) That's what you may be thinking. We're not doing High School Musical. Instead, the actress who played Darbus, Allison Reed, is also in this film, and she's much younger. Much younger, yeah. I think this, this probably was like the other like polar end of her career yeah yeah so today we so she played cassie so today we're talking about the 1985 film a chorus line 1985 god and this movie is just dripping in 80s 85 oh it's so 80s it's so 80s so 80s 80s. well before though it was this Movie musical that that we have opinions on and we'll be discussing. <laughs> um, it was a stage production. Yes, yeah, so this is one of my absolute favorite stage productions. I love A Chorus Line so, so much. Um, it's like easily one of my top ten, probably even my top five musicals of all time. That's I, strong. I just love it. So this opened on Broadway in 1975 after an out-of-town trial. Uh, it opened on the West End in 1976 it won a record-breaking 12 uh, Tony noms at the Tony Awards that year. It did win nine of them, including Best Musical and Best Choreo. It also won the Olivier for Best Musical, as well as the 1976 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Wow. Yeah. That is an honor only held by 10 musicals currently. It stands up there with the likes of Rent, Hamilton, and most recently, A Strange Loop on Broadway. What is that? A Strange Loop is a super cool, um, brand new musical uh, by a black playwright. It's an incredible show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find his name real quick. It was kind of experimental, and it's got kind of a... I mean, it, it is its name. It's got kind of a weird like feedback loop. And it's about the black experience in theater... And I'm going to find his name. Michael R. Jackson. The other Michael Jackson. The Michael R. Jackson. Michael R. Jackson. Which is funny because the Michael Jackson biopic musical was on Broadway at the same time. So people would go to see the Michael Jackson musical. And like you never knew which one you were talking about. Which one? (laughs) Kind of funny. But it's a really cool show. Um, If you haven't already heard of it or, or listened to the cast recording or looked into it, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite new shows this last year. Strange Loop, you say? A Strange Loop, yes. But that's not what today's episode is about. 
We're talking about A Chorus Line, which was the seventh longest-running musical uh, in the history of Broadway. It was just recently beat by the revival of Chicago. And fun fact, there was actually, in early iterations, an alternate ending. So the way the show originally ended was they would boil down after that first big audition after I Hope I Get It, Mm -hmm. the big audition number at the top. They would whittle down to a smaller group, and then from that smaller group, every night a different set of cast members would be chosen, and they wouldn't decide ahead of time. They would literally decide, like, in the spur of the moment during the show, who got to be in the closing number. And it, it didn't really vibe with audiences. They didn't love it. But the, the real clincher, the thing that made them change the ending, was when uh, costumers and uh, quick change assistants, when dressers, started complaining. And it, it just turned out to be too difficult to put spontaneously eight new cast members into costume every night. In a, in a matter of, like, seconds. Like, it was, like, I think under two minutes they had to do all eight of these quick changes. Mm. And it just proved to be too much to do on the spur of the moment without knowing who it was going to be. You couldn't prep the costume. You couldn't grab the right person's stuff. You just kind of had to have a rack. I think it's 16 is what that, that group boils down to before the final number. So you had to have all 16 costumes just, like, ready and waiting and, like... That does not a change successful them. quick change make. No, and, and especially, I mean, you, you can only have so many dressers backstage, right? I mean, a, a production can only afford so many hands on deck to do such a thing. And I think it could have worked if they had maybe, like, predetermined every night. You can still have different cast members make the final cut every night. I don't think that's a bad concept, but I think you have to decide ahead of time and you have to let the staff on the project be prepared for that. Or even, like you know, two or three numbers ahead of time. Right. You know? So, like, gives people in the back a heads up on yeah, what's going to happen. I mean, just, you have to figure out how to, and, and it's difficult because the the director character, Zach, doesn't really leave the stage at any point. Right. So it's hard to, I mean, I can imagine there's, like, some communication hurdles you have to kind of figure out, but, but you have to figure out how to signal and how to communicate and, and just make it happen. But it, it didn't really work, and, and again, audiences didn't love it either. So there were logistic reasons, there were um, structural reasons that it didn't work, and uh, and in the end, they ended up picking the same group uh, of eight to finish the show every night, and they included Cassie in that group because audiences, after watching the show, decided that it wasn't fair if Cassie didn't make the show because she did everything right, right? She played the game, she did everything she was supposed to do, and she, you know canonically performs um, above average right and so it doesn't make sense for her not to make the cut and not to make the show i kind of disagree because especially in the movie (laughs) zach has some harsh critiques and i i've i've not yet seen the entire show live so there are definitely scenes of this that i haven't seen performed on stage so i don't really know how it plays out in the musical if it's got the same kind of really heavy heavy handed critique of Cassie, I imagine it's similar, but I think there's a world in which she doesn't make the show, and it, it can be supported by the material. I think it makes more sense, and it, we all want, we want our, our main character to win, right? Cassie's probably the closest we come to a main character in this weird, muddled concept show. I think it makes sense that audiences want her to win. I think it makes sense if she does win. I think it's a happy ending that we need out of a show that doesn't really conclude Right. Because again, it, it's, this is similar to Cats, like it falls in that same boat that this is a concept musical. And so it's like about something vaguely, but it's not really, there's not like a 
a conflict and a, a climax and a resolution. Like it doesn't really work like that, right? It's a concept show, so it's structured differently. So there's not really a main character or a resolution or whatever. Cassie's as close as we get. And I want her to win. Yeah. So I think it makes sense that in the final iteration, they were like, no, Cassie's going to make the show. That's what we're doing. I get that. Yeah. And this was a super smash hit uh, on stage. People loved the musical. Still do. Right. I mean, it's had two revivals. Uh, it, it's had a revival in uh, on Broadway and the West End. It's toured like four times, I think. Three or four times in America. It's popular. The movie... <laughs> Not so much. So, and I can I can pinpoint for you exactly why this movie isn't popular. Perfect. So, this movie was released. Man, we are gunky this morning. We are. It's we should have done a vo- Ooh. Ooh. vocal warm up. Um, yeah, I feel like a Kardashian. Can you hear the vocal fry? Yeah, I can't shake it. I. Cool. We're awesome. <laughs> so this movie was released December 13th, 1985. It was directed by Richard Attenborough. Screenplay by Arnold. Arnold Schulman, cinematography by Ronnie Taylor, and music by Marvin Hamlish and Edward Clayton. The cast. Fire away. Michael Douglas. Hate it. As Zach, the choreographer. Allison Reed. Love her. Love her. As Cassie. Um, and Cassie is the veteran dancer comeback to audition. Terrence Mann as Larry, the assistant choreographer. Sharon Brown as Kim, Zach's secretary. And then here are the dancers. We have Michael Blevins as Mark. Yamel Borges as Diana Morales. Gan Boyd as Connie Wong. Greg Burge as Richie Walters. Cameron English as Paul San Marco. Tony Fields as Al DeLuca. Audrey Landers as Val Clark. I love her. Nicole Fossey, Bob Fossey's daughter, as Christine Evelyn Ehrlich DeLuca. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Good honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you didn't catch that, Christine and Al are married. Yeah. Yeah. Vicki Frederick, Frederick as Sheila Bryant. Michelle Johnston as Beatrice Ann, a.k.a. B.B. Benson. Janet Jones as Judy Monroe. Pam Klinger as Maggie Wilson. Charles McGowan as Mike Cass. Justin Ross as Greg Gardner. Blaine Savage as Don Kerr. And Matt West as Bobby Mills. It's a lot of dancers. It's a and lot of dancers. And that's just the dancers. dancers with names. That's just the dancers that make it into the final group. Yeah. I mean, this movie and the musical as well features just a slew of dancers. Just shitloads. Who are, I think, just in the opening and closing numbers. Yeah. 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 So the, for the production for this, before it was a stage production, they actually, producers were already wanting to option it for film. Well, and we discussed this a little bit before we got started, but because it's a concept musical, it kind of feels like it was written for film. Yeah. Oh, definitely. The structure lends itself not to a live format. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting. So Universal bought the film rights and hired uh, Michael Bennett, the creator and stage director, to direct the film. And it kind of bounced around on who owned it. So the rights were procured, like, the same year that this hit Broadway. Yeah. 
for a film and the stage production obviously was a huge smash hit. They decided, okay, well we need to wait until that excitement kind of dies back a little bit in order to be able to hopefully have this, the movie be successful because otherwise they're just going to do a compare and contrast in the moment of what's happening on stage versus what's happening in in the movie. Right. And financially you want to get everything you can out of a live show and then adapt it to film and then get more money out of it. Like that's, it's just the business savvy thing to do all around. Right. Um, Based off of how the contract was originally written though, they didn't think that they were going to end up making enough money off of this. So it kind of bounced around to a bunch of different hands and then it ended up landing with Polygram and it was distributed by Columbia. Um, But Bennett declined eventually to participating because he wanted to present the film as an audition to cast the movie version of the stage play. So some of the writing might be different. Some of this, that, the other thing, instead of it being a literal translation of the play, because he didn't feel that it was all going to read the way it needed to. I agree. I think we probably would have solved that problem differently, Mm -hmm. but I do agree that that is, that is a, a, an obstacle yeah. Which you have to overcome. I don't think they did it the correct way. <laughs> no. And and like some of the other, like one of the other options that I read that they thought about was taking it and more so looking at the backstage of it all and looking and delving into the characters' lives more sure. than what it did. Well, there's a really fascinating documentary on Amazon right now called Every Little Step about the making of, I think it's about the casting of the uh, Broadway revival in 06. Mm. It's a great documentary. I love it a lot. And if you ever have time, you should absolutely watch it, especially if you enjoy this musical. It's going to have to be on the watch list. It's very worth the watch. Excellent. So the movie did not fare well, <laughs> to put it kindly. Do tell. <laughs> um, so it's got a 40% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Ouch. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And the overall consensus is on stage, a chorus line pulled back the curtain to reveal the hopes and fears of showbiz showbiz strivers, but the energy and urgency is lost in translation to the big screen. Variety had said a chorus line often seems static and confined, really venturing beyond the immediate Attenborough merely films the stage show as best he could. Nonetheless, the director has done an excellent job with the limitations using every trick they could think of to keep the movie moving. More importantly, they had a fine cast, good music. So what they did get on film was what they could. Well, that's terrible news. Uh, yeah. Roger Ebert, um, of Chicago Sun times though, actually really liked it. He said the result may not please purists who want a film record of what they saw on stage, but this is one of the most intelligent and compelling movie musicals in a long time. And the most grown up since it isn't limited as so many contemporary musicals are to the celebration of the survival qualities of geriatric actresses. Okay. So I do agree that the movie is uh, intellectual and cerebral. I think that the musical is also that more successfully. Yeah. So I think what he's probably picking up on is the strength of the story and not the strength of the medium that was used to tell it. That makes a lot of sense. I think the strength of a chorus line 
carries this movie through to to want to be adapted. I think that the use of this medium was probably not well handled, and and that's where I think I would disagree with him. So Kelly Bishop, who was the original stage Sheila, um, noted that it was appalling when director Richard Attenborough went on to a talk show and said, this is a story about kids trying to break into show business. I almost tossed my TV out the window. I mean, what an idiot. It's about veteran dancers looking for one last job before it's too late for them to dance anymore. No wonder the film sucked. Yeah, it. it I had the same critique that it often feels like they kind of missed the point. Yeah, which makes sense that if the director's thought on what this film was about is bright and shiny new people coming to Broadway, hoping to make it. Yeah. And that's not what this is about at all. I wish that there had maybe been more of a gap between the stage production and the movie to kind of allow that moral to settle in, in a, in a sort of zeitgeist sense. Because I think now it has. I think if you talk to industry people about this musical, you get the response that people are like, oh yeah, this is about, like, I relate to this because I see myself and at least one of these characters and their struggle with, like, getting on stage, staying on stage, being on stage, what we have to give up to be able to be a part of this. Like, I think we all, as performers, as creatives, see ourselves somewhere on stage during this process. And that maybe didn't, that maybe doesn't translate in the movie. It, it feels sort of like a cooked down cash grab almost. Yeah, it feels very much so. And as someone who has not seen like any portion of the stage version, except a couple numbers from sure. people randomly pulling them for performances and never seeing this movie before and this, that, the other thing, it felt like there was a lot more story happening that no one got to see, feel, or interact with. Yeah, yeah. There, there are several numbers cut. Um, there are things moved around and reduced. And this was my first time watching this movie too. So I, And again, this is one of my favorite musicals. So I went in with really high expectations and hopes. And it, it just didn't get there for me. All right, let's dive into some plot biddies. Well, no time like the present. No time like the present. So we kick this movie off at a dance audition and shots of New York, but we're in a theater for an audition, a cattle call in Holy Fucking Dancers Batman. There's a million of them. The opening shots really make me miss like the thrum of rehearsal. Yeah. Because like, uh, I, I, I don't know if maybe I'm a rarity because of this, but my favorite part of any production is always the process yeah like when people ask me like what's your favorite thing about about a show I always say it's the hour before a show and the hour after a show like everybody's in the theater getting ready people are like warming up and rehearsing things and doing mic checks and getting makeup and like chatting with each other and like there's a sort of buzz behind the curtain that's my favorite thing and then like right afterwards when people like take everything off you're putting everything away people are trying to figure out where they're going to eat they're celebrating with family and friends they're getting their flowers they're this they're that that's uh, that's my favorite part yeah it's it's the process of making art that draws me to make art and uh and this opening scene really makes me miss that yeah it's been a long time since we've been behind the curtain as performers to be a part of that 
We've been we've been backstage for a lot of stuff. Oh Jesus! Since yeah. college, I mean, we spend a lot of time behind the curtain, and I don't uh, want to knock that. I think that's important and great, and we really enjoy it. But I do miss. The... It's different as a performer, though. Versus it is, it is, yeah. And I and I miss it. Yeah. So everybody is given a combination. They're dancing it, and then from that, they pick out like a couple people from each dance group to continue on. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the things right off the bat that I noticed was different is they changed the words to to the iconic opening of I Hope I Get It. Yeah. So I Hope I Get It is a, is a audition production number. And the iconic opening line, step, kick, kick, leap, kick, touch, again, is replaced by like different words that match a different combination. And... Uh, there's also that iconic dance combination from the beginning of the number. And we don't get either of them in this film. And and admittedly, at the time, they probably weren't as iconic as they are now. Right. Because now it's, you know, the seventh longest running Broadway musical and everybody and their mother has seen a chorus line. And, you know, it played at the Hollywood Bowl like just a couple years ago. Like everybody knows this show now and everybody, at least most performers are familiar with that iconic combination. Even though I had never seen this movie and had never seen the show, I know that. Yeah, because it's part of the, it's, I mean, it's, it's part as of ubiquitous. The zeitgeist. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, it's as ubiquitous as like seasons of love. Like you have to know it mm-hmm. and we don't get it here. And, and again, it probably wasn't as necessary and iconic as it is now. And it's very possible that in the original production, it was like, an arbitrary combination and arbitrary words that matched that combo. So it probably wasn't in anybody's head that they had to match it. But it does mean that now, retrospectively, like it hurts the longevity of this movie. Yeah. Because it's not present. No. And no. And that's so sad. Although the dancing we do see is spectacular. I mean, it's stunning. Even the people so that are not good. chosen, I mean, it, ugh. It's really good dancing. It's so good. And it is a zillion. It's an, it's an army of human people doing this group choreo. I mean, hundreds. Because, yeah. uh, and one girl that's in this green tube, which, holy 80s Batman. Oh, oh. The aesthetic is so 80s. aggressively 80s. Because it's like all of their, you know, tights and then like the little. Right, because it's workout wear. Right. It's active wear. 80s and... workout wear. I mean, you can't get a more iconic snapshot of the 80s. No, and like the big feathered hair and, you know, da, 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 oh, whatever. Yeah. I just, it's stunning. And this girl in green, and this green two-piece, which we later find out is BB, mm-hmm. um, gets pulled to the front and is like, no, this is how this choreography is supposed to go. Can you imagine? I mean, we've both been that dancer. I, I don't mean, know, I don't know why you're acting, why you're clutching <laughs> your pearls about it. As I mean, if we've never been that dancer. I mean, we have been, but like in this in this kind of setting, though, where there are hundreds and hundreds of people. For those of you who don't know, Benny started her career as a crew member in our first ensemble, and then was uh, she replaced a dancer because she would just dance to the side during the show during rehearsals, and our director was like, "Hey, uh, you there, dancer who's not doing enough, go sit down. You're being replaced." Yeah. Thank you. So don't <laughs> don't look at me like. Can you imagine being that good that somebody pointed it out? <laughs> yes, we I can. Mean, okay, but we can like imagine. This, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. You don't have to toot your own horn. I'll do it for yeah, you. Yeah, it's fine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and listen, that's what I tell kids all the time when they're like, oh, I didn't get the part I want. Oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I didn't do that. Well, prove I'm them like, wrong, you are, bitch. You are always auditioning. Literally every minute of every day. Every single rehearsal you have is an audition. Yeah. It's an audition for the next thing. It's an audition for replacing someone or if someone drops out or if someone gets sick. Right. Your every day is the audition. Right. You have to show up and prove every minute of every day that you're the one. So do it. So do it. No one told me that. Some of these girls here don't do it. Miss Judy Monroe, who like doesn't have her number. This pissed me off. Okay. As someone who has been on, been someone that is auditioning and then has also been on the other side of the table making those decisions. Yeah. If someone, especially in a call of hundreds of dancers. Which we've done. We've done the big cattle call audition. And I'm like, okay, so you didn't remember your number and you're expecting someone on the other side of the, take a look around. You have one number to memorize. These people on the other side of the table have a million and eight things that they're trying to pay attention to. And you're yeah. going to ask them what your number is. I think the highest number they call later is like 300 and something. But like. Yeah. So you're one of at minimum 300 and something dancers. Just be prepared. Like if if I've I mean, I've dismissed dancers for less. Or you can leave. Right. Like I because I it, it shows me in this moment that you're not a prepared person. And I'm not interested in working with you. And maybe you're having an off day and that's your business. My business is to decide whether you're you're up to running speed enough to do this. I'm assessing you in a snapshot in this moment. You only have so much time, so you have to be prepared. Well, and so her number eventually gets called and she doesn't know it because the guy is like, okay, well, if there's a number that's called and no one comes up for it, then obviously you. it's you. Like, use some brain power here, Judy. Yeah. Good Lord. Um, I would have fired her. I would have dismissed her on the spot and been like, have a great day. Well, and then we also have Sheila, who is very much so a seasoned veteran. And the reason that we know this is because Larry, who is in charge of the audition, right? Right. Because Larry's we have our, Zach. Larry's our dance captain. Right. And Zach, the choreographer, director, is sitting in the audience watching all of this, right? Right. He's and got Larry's a god mic. On... He's off in the dark. And right. Larry and... is running the audition. Right. And Larry calls Sheila by name, calls a couple people by their name, and everyone else is either a number or whatever they're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that Sheila is known by yeah. the people in charge. She's also a noticeably older actress. Yeah. Versus like some other people like BB, for example. Sure, who are very, very young. Um, Sheila's in the front and just frankly not getting the choreography. She's not even really trying. No. And then she gets sent to the back and then just doesn't dance. Yeah, she just steps away and like fixes her hair in one of the mirrors in the back. And Larry is like, uh, were you going to dance, Sheila? And she, did you not know the combination? And she's like, I knew it when I was in the front. Dismissed. Have a good day. You didn't actually. You didn't know when you were in the front. Yeah, to that's be why I moved honest you. With you. Like I don't care if you're my sister, and we have both auditioned our siblings. Yeah, I don't care if you're not going to put an effort in. Have a good day. Yeah. And this whole time is the number. I hope I get it. Which <laughs> it's like the first twenty minutes of the film is so fractured. 
Yes, very good word for what happened to this opening number. And can I just say, several of the numbers in this movie, not to the extent of this first song, are that way. They get kind of chunked up. It's like, okay, you get a little snippet here. And then it's several more minutes. It's not like you get this and then like there's no like scoring or anything underneath for like a like 30 seconds and then you jump back in no 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 it's like several minutes because this auditioning portion i wrote a note because i had only had three notes at the 20 minute mark and i said it's 20 minutes in and we're still auditioning yeah we audition until about almost the it's i think it's like 33 minutes and some odd seconds that's how much of the beginning of this movie yeah. is just this beginning audition and you know nothing. Yeah, you don't really you don't get any kind of like character development in that time, which I think is what's what bogs it down. And this movie is almost 2 hours long. It's not like they had to keep it for time. Right. Yeah, it it feels sometimes it feels to me like it was handled by a production team who wanted to make a movie and were like forced to include music. Yeah. Like, the songs almost feel like an afterthought or an obstacle, as opposed to a vehicle for storyline. And this, I mean, this story is very much so a dance story, and I get that. And the dancing, and I cannot say enough about, I mean, the dancing is is just... spectacular. But it's not not narrative in any way. No. It's just really difficult dancing because we're auditioning. Right. Which I understand. That's, That's what we're doing. But it's also got to tell us something. Right. And if you couldn't do that, then maybe you need to find somebody else right. to choreograph. And like throughout this number, we're getting like flashes back to this taxi cab. And I don't know who this woman is. Yeah. Yeah. We just, We've made we no just take reference so to long her. to learn anything about anybody. Yeah. And turns out this woman that we see in a cab, her name is Cassie. And that's she's Miss Darbus. That's Miss Darbus. She shows up. And needs to talk to Zach, the director, and he's busy and he keeps kind of giving her the brush off. Which is the correct thing to do. You're at a closed audition and a friend has popped by. I'll see you when I'm done working. Have a good day. Right, because she's not like, you know, whatever. Then she writes him a note and then his assistant gets it to him and he crumples it up and throws it away. I'm assuming the note is like, hey, I'm here to audition or I need, you know, whatever. Sure. Or I need to talk to you about whatever. The, if you wanted to audition today, you should have been here hours ago to put your name on a call board and to be a part of this initial cattle call. Yeah. P.S. I hate that we have to call it that. Like, a isn't there? Call? Yeah, isn't there a different word we can use? There's got to be. There's got to be something that we I wish the heard. industry would, would use a different term. Because the idea of, like, large groups of performers being treated like livestock, like, the implication of livestock... Is weird. It makes me so uncomfortable. It's just... Yeah. 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 So, they've whittled things down, and the difficult part about describing this movie plot-wise is so much of this is dance. Yeah. Well, again, it's because it's a concept show. Right. And so we aren't really moving through, like plot points and the music isn't until i think until towards the end the music doesn't do much of anything no again it feels like a it it feels like an afterthought like it feels like we were forced to to tell this story with music and it was handled by and inserted by people who like 
didn't care if it was there or not. Well, because again, the director was quoted as like, oh, these are kids that are coming and wanting to make it big and wanting to whatever. And someone who was a part of the original stage production got pissed because she's like, okay, so what that tells me is you don't understand the story that you're telling, which is why this sucked. Yeah. Maybe it should have been ping ponged around to different studios and then like put on hiatus for a minute. Yep. Longer than what it was. This could have used more than a year to bake on film, I think. Yeah. The turnaround was a little too fast for us to really celebrate what it was or what it would become. And how would, I mean, how do you, how would you know at the time right, you that wouldn't. it would become what it did? But like, could we have given it a minute? Yeah. Cause it was, it was like, you said this came out in 75. Yeah. It hit Broadway in 75. So this is 10 years later, but it just, it still felt like it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. It just, it's not enough time. And, and even in that time, like this ran for a long while. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you look at the things that were working and the things that people... Was there anybody who loved the musical who was a part of this project to tell you, like, no, we can't cut that. It's what, what people want to see? Come on. Like, uh, so we're at the end of the opening number now. Yes, we're at the end of the opening number. And, and we don't get that iconic dance break. No. We see glimmers of it. There are pieces of the choreography that are still present. But it's but they're spliced and they're fractured and they're all they're in bits and pieces all over this opening number, which takes a million years, and we just wanted to see that iconic, that iconic dance break, and we nope. don't get it. Nope, we don't get it, and that's so sad. So, people are called to the front um, of like, okay, these are the people who are staying. Sheila's one of them. Sheila, who like didn't dance throughout this entire thing. Yeah, imagine being one of those other dancers who's like working your ass off to get through this initial cut, and then Sheila makes the call. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? And like these are things that happen, right? Because based off of your past performance, probably, and yeah, things yeah. like that. The like, whole I industry get. is about who you know and not how you do, and like that sucks, but it's true. Yeah, and I get that. And I understand, like, that's probably why she makes the cut is to make that point. But that sucks. You yeah. know, that sucks. Yeah. So we're at the point now where everyone who is left over is supposed to go and get their headshots and resumes. Yeah. So they go do that for the next round of eliminations. And kind of throughout this entire film, there will be random parts where the dancers are all looking at each other and being like, so how long are we going to be here? How long is this going to take? Yeah, so this is another reason why Zach is a terrible director. He's not very respectful of these performers' time. Yeah. And I understand, I do, that you have to make sacrifices to be able to do this. And from a directing standpoint, you want people who are going to be dedicated to your production. But you don't get dedicated performers by disrespecting their time. Like, they're not going to respect your time on a production if you disrespect their time while they're looking for work. Right. Right. Like what if one of these people had another audition to make because this one started at 8 a.m. and they had another one at like 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Well, and we see that one of the characters, their day job starts at 4. And so he's just like, I'm just curious. And he's like, well, I don't know how long it's going to take, so you should just call out sick. And this guy is a waiter. Right, and we find out later he has, like, a family. Like, he has Like, kids. a wife and kids, yeah. That's not acceptable. No. 
that's not, and maybe it was acceptable at some point in the industry, but I do feel like we've turned a corner somewhere in like, somewhere in the past like 15, 20 years, I feel like we've rounded the corner on like, I'm not going to show up to an audition for 12 hours. I'm not. And if you ask me to, I'm going to leave. Well, and there's a lot of talk in the industry right now about the fact that like people are not paid to go audition. No, auditioning is something you you have to do. And because it's the gateway to being employed, we are, we just have to allow ourselves to be abused and manipulated like that. Like you don't have a choice. Right. So there, uh, I know that there has been talk, especially in the past several years about union people possibly getting some sort of stipend to go audition or yeah, which something I think like makes that. Sense. I mean, it, they tell you when you go to school for this, that like your job is not to be on stage. Like you are, you're not training to be a performer. You are training to audition. That's what your job is going to be. That's what your career is going to be. You're going to audition for the rest of your life. It's your job now. So like <laughs> you're going to do your job possibly for free until one of you gets lucky. Yeah. It's like signing up to like play the lottery as a career. That's insane. Yeah. And not sustainable. No. So everybody goes and gets their headshots and we get a quick snippet of Who Am I Anyway? sung by Paul. It is one of my favorite audition cuts from the musical. Uh, I think it's a nice little snippet, especially for coming in for an an audition. Um, it feels very out of place here. Yeah, because again, this is like a portion that's supposed to be a part of kind of the first number. Yeah, and I think when it's included in the cast recording, it's a sort of change of pace from a very up-tempo audition-style opening production number. It's very high energy, it's very high-paced, it's very dance-forward, and then you get this kind of lyrical breather moment before we finish the number. Right, right. So in the in the musical score, it makes sense. In the movie score, it no, doesn't. Because the, the first <laughs> number is only a few seconds long every couple of minutes, and then <laughs> this is done after that number has already been completed. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really fit here. And again, it just feels like an afterthought. Like they were given a score, and they were like, "Make this fit in your movie," and that doesn't make sense to me. No. We also, um, while we're talking about the headshot moment. In the musical, we have that iconic chorus line where everyone stands on the line at the front of the stage and holds their headshot in front of their face. And it's like a proportionate headshot, right? So their headshot becomes their face. And it's about like people being viewed as their resume instead of as people. And and it has this kind of symbolic moment. It's also one of the most iconic picture moments from a chorus line. And we completely skip it here. Yep. What the fuck? There's a lot that we skip. Yeah. Oh, it's so disheartening. Yeah. So we find out that Cassie is here to audition. She's willing to be in the chorus. And based off of light mentions from Larry and some other people, it's, she is famous. Yeah. She had a, she had a starring role. She's, she's got star power behind her. And she, she's been the lead. And so the fact that she's willing to audition for the chorus, everyone is very fucking confused as to why she's here. And I think that's also kind of why Zach is like, that can't be it. That can't be the actual reason why she's here. Right. I mean, he's here to fill an ensemble today during this very large audition. And here's like this leading lady who he's worked with previously here to like interrupt that day. Right. 
ma'am, please leave. Go sit down. So she's desperate and willing to be in the chorus. Now everyone is standing on the line, obviously, except for Cassie. And they're supposed to go down and list their name, their age, and where they come from. Oh my God. These slates are so ridiculous. It's the... And we don't get all of them because again... No, we only... We don't get all of them. No, because we're cutting back and forth between them reading off their slate and flipping back to like Cassie calling someone and being like, I... I need a job. I need something. I need da da da. Whatever. Yeah, she's got a payphone in the back. She keeps making calls, and she's trying to find an apartment, and she's trying to this, and she's trying to that. So we gather from that that she's just come back to New York, that she's been away at least for a little bit. But I feel like we could have condensed that all into a scene and not interrupted these slates. Yeah. The slates are hysterical, though. Um, at one point, what's her name? Something Wong. Connie. Connie Wong introduces herself and she says, Connie Wong, always Wong, never white. I <laughs> screamed. And then she was like, I know, terrible joke. And then It he's was like, a terrible joke, Connie. And then he's, uh, and then Zach's like, okay, how old are you? And then she doesn't say her, she's like, I was born December 5th. And then she has a really, really long pause. And then she says, Year 4,000-something, the year of the chicken. Right. Which is another joke about her being Asian. And then she giggles and then steps back in line. And I'm like, okay, so again, you didn't answer... Yeah. You didn't answer the question. I mean, everybody's responses are very, like, canned and rehearsed and very, like... Like, they're doing bits. And I gotta tell you, I don't... I don't much enjoy it. Uh, We're not meant to. They're fine. They're fine, but it just, I, yeah. No, I, I, I totally get that. And we're, we're not meant to enjoy it. We find out in a minute here that, like, the kind of rehearsed quality of all of these responses is intentional. Because it's meant to, it's meant to illustrate the kind of, like, stiff rigidity of the rehearsal process. That, like, you have to be funny, likable, interesting, unique. And so you have all of these kind of rehearsed, prepared lines that you give over and over and over again because you're constantly auditioning. And so it does take on this sort of like almost like marionette quality that like you're not really a person. You're like this amalgamation of of like comedy bits. Like it's almost like a it's almost like a tight five at a comedy club. Yeah, but not funny. But not funny. No. You're just trying to be charming and interesting and likable. And everyone's kind of like falling flat and and none of the jokes are landing and it feels very stiff. It was very stiff and like almost like Uncanny Mm Valley-esque that they're not really human people, that they're, I mean, I keep coming back to like a puppet analogy, that they're, they're not human people. And that's kind of what we're meant to take away from it. And so the director, Zach, has said, I, I'm a different kind of director, I'm going to shake, shake things up in auditions a bit. This isn't going to be the norm. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we fucking go. Right. Whenever a white guy director tells me that, I'm like, you're going to make people uncomfortable is what you're going to do. Yeah. So his whole thing is he's like, I'm going to ask you questions about yourself and your family and your background and things like that. And I just want you to give me an honest answer. I like 
Diana Moreno ends up coming up and being like, I can't act. I'm not an actress. I don't know. I, I'm not good at that. I'm a dancer. Why, why are you asking these things? And he's like, I don't want you to act. I want this to be genuine. Because I want you to tell me something. I don't want you to rehearse something at me. Right. I want you to just be genuine about this. So Cassie keeps coming out and interrupting this entire process and is just like, I just want to audition. Let me audition for you. I just want to talk to you. Can I just come out there and say something to you? I just really need a minute with you. And he's like, I'm literally working right now. And it's, it's like, you want to audition? Let me audition for you. We're already whittled down. Right. Like you missed it. Come back for the next one. We'll see you at the next show. And like in this little tug of war between Cassie and Zach, I am on Zach's side. Although I do think Zach is a shitty director. Right. It's a weird midpoint I have with him that like, I think he is being correct. And that like, this is not the time or the place. Leave your number with my assistant. We will get back to you later. Like I'm in the middle of my process right now. Right. So he just has his assistant be like, listen, I can't fucking do this with you right now. Yeah. In the nicest way possible. But like. But still. Professionally, which again is the right thing to do. Right. So she grabs her bags and leaves in a huff and she gets run over by a taxi. (laughs) Not actually, but like. No, the taxi like clips her while she like. Like her, one of her just numerous bags. And she just kind of like t- like topples over. It's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. Because like she's very clearly just fine. Yeah. She, I mean, it's a pratfall. She's fine. Yeah. Um, and it's raining outside and it's so dramatic. And Larry her goes hair. running after her. And- <laughs> her hair is so wet when Larry picks her up. I'm like, she's been outside for maybe two minutes. She's she's drenched. Head in the puddle when she <laughs> fell. Like, I, I don't know what happened. Have we talked yet about how much Larry looks like Tim Curry? No, we have not. But my God, I literally was like, is that? Like, I, I had to Google it halfway through this movie because I was like, is it Tim Curry? Alexis. So my sister, Alexis, for those folks out there, I've talked to about her a couple times on the phone. She watched this movie with me. and Ross she, also watched this one with me. Well, there you go. That's so funny. Um, Watched this movie and she was like, is that? And I was like, Convinced. It's Convinced it's Tim Curry. It's Terrence Mann. They could be brothers. It's, am- I mean, it's amazing to me that young Terrence Mann and young Tim Curry didn't do like a twin movie at any point. Yeah. They look so much alike. I mean, it's it's kind of aggressive. It's startling. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, just just Google an image of Larry from A Chorus Line, the movie. And tell me it's not Tim Curry. Because goddamn. <laughs> so he goes after her and helps her back up and is like, just come back inside. You can tell Larry and Cassie have some kind of history together, too, that they were like friends or, or you know, possibly Larry works with Zach on a lot of projects. We know that Zach and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cassie have done a show together before or, or have some sort of history together, history together yeah. on stage. So very probably Larry and Cassie have also shared time together backstage. Well, because at one point in here, Larry's like, if you're needing some place to stay, you can just stay with me while you're in town. But like, stop trying to interrupt this audition process. Yeah, like do this professionally and just like, we'll figure this out when we're done here today. But like, we need to go back to doing today. Right. So she comes back in and then we're back on stage with the people doing, getting asked questions by Zach, the director. 
And next up is Mike. And he starts, um, the question that he's asked is, how did you start dancing? Like, why did you start dancing? And it's because his sister was taking a dance class and he went with her and um, was interested. And then we get the number, I can do that. Um, We do get the number. And uh, this is a great song in this show. At the end of the song, there's usually like a small little scenelet that's kind of underscored and you get like a little bit of dialogue and then the number wraps with like a fun button. The dialogue in the movie is kind of expanded into a scene and like there's a whole flashback. It's okay. So it's so much, right? Because we start to get this number and then I'm finally like, ah, here we are. It's the first... 40 minutes, 45 <laughs> minutes into this movie, we're finally in a movie musical, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the first time we get kind of a movie musical moment because the opening number is very, like, rooted in reality. Like, it's happening in real time and feels very real time because it takes a gazillion years. And this is kind of like a pull away from the reality of the room. And so we get kind of a musical theatery moment. And he... and. Uh... Mike does such a great job of obviously not only dancing, but he adds in comedy into the dance as well. Yeah, it is a fun interpretation of the number. I am left wondering in like the middle of this flashback that we get if we're going to finish the number at any point. Right, because in this flashback, it like we go backstage and we see Cassie sitting there and she's like flipping through an address book, right? And she comes across Zach's name with an address and she kind of touches it and like is looking off to this is oh i remember when this was his address and da 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 and then we get a flashback of her at some audition which by the way real quick a real quick hair thing so she's got kind of like a like a shorter cut right now almost like like a curly bob length right yeah in the flashbacks her hair is longer and i don't know what in the fuck that wig piece attachment to the back of her head was supposed to be doing it's like a it's like a really long mop with like a frou-frou kind of poodle bang moment going on because she's got because <laughs> she has her actual hair and it's like they took a braid in the back to cover up the clipping in of this extension. Oh, very it clearly looks, it's her hair with extensions. But it's so brushed out <laughs> and the other curls on her head are like the normal curls. Out. And oh it just, God. it looks so fucking hideous. And every single time we have a flashback, she's, that's her hair. So her hair is god awful and we get a weird clip that Cassie definitely, from when she was younger, auditioned for Zach. And then we get the ending of uh, I Can Do That. Yeah. And it is... Kind of. Kind of, not really. It's like, like a I said, that, second. Yeah, it's yeah. It's weird. The song usually ends with like a fun button, and this one doesn't. No. It just kind of ends, and then there's a, like, almost like a playoff, but no one leaves, because we do the whole musical on one stage. Right. I don't know. I didn't love it. I don't know. And then we get Bobby and... We get weird information about his life and that is definitely a bunch of bullshit. Because he's like, oh, I used to break into places, but I wouldn't steal anything. I'd just break in and stand there. And and my dad was a, a guy who went out into the field and drank. And my mom was an extreme couponer. I made that up. He's just making up a bunch of random shit. That- and, and again, it's... It feels rehearsed and very canned, and that's on purpose. Right. Uh, then we shift over to Sheila, who is our veteran dancer that 
didn't feel the need to audition halfway through the audition. Right. Yeah. So he, Zach asks her about her mom and she starts giving a candy and, oh, well, she's this little old lady and da 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 da, you know, whatever. And Zach gets pissed and just blows up and is like, I just want you all to be fucking honest. Let your hair down. Just and talk tell me, to me. Just talk to me. Tell me the truth. And I'm like, a part of me is like, okay, here's the thing, right? If you're wanting people to be vulnerable and open up, first of all, you don't yell at them. Right. That sort of thing starts at the basis of trust and comfortability. And like, you can't hold an actor down and like, force them to be vulnerable. Also, you're kind of like a, a faceless voice right why didn't you come up and ask these questions to them exactly to make a more human connection in order for them to take it more on seriously you know what i mean i just if the point of your audition was to get to know personally your performers that you can understand what their life experience will bring to a role which is totally valid and something you can do an audition i think that's useful and great that's good directing but if you want to do that, you have to accommodate vulnerability, right? You have to create a space between you and a performer where they know they can trust you. They know that they're safe to share those things with you. They know that they're safe to experience them with the people around them because that can be very devastating as an actor too to like be vulnerable. And because sometimes it's stuff you haven't finished working through, you know, it's not stuff you can comfortably talk about. And that's part of being vulnerable. That's part of being a performer is we're asked to share our life experiences that's totally part of the gig i'm not knocking that but you can't like you can't do the verbal equivalent of like shaking an actor to get sentimentality out of them like that's not healthy it's bad directing no so he made the comment about letting her hair down and then she took her physically takes her bun out and she's like (laughs) is that better to kind of lighten the mood again which i appreciated sheila is a seasoned professional and you can tell yeah um, and she is, we get the number at the ballet, which is a song where Sheila, Bibi, and Maggie all sing about how when they were younger, no matter what bullshit was going on in life, the ballet and dance in that way was something that they could connect to and have beauty and feel beauty in. Right. A safe haven for them. And I adore this number. It's one of my favorite Broadway ballads of all time, like right up there next to People. I love this song. Um, And there's a really iconic crescendo towards the end of the number that Maggie does when she sings at the ballet, at the ballet, at the ballet. And she like crescendos through that last note. And it's supposed to be like this kind of earth shattering, like inhuman sort of crescendo. Often it's accompanied by like a little tech boost where they like give her some reverb and like a, a, you know, a sort of push on the mic. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's one of the hallmarks of this song is like how well you do Maggie's crescendo. And they did this one really, really well. It was really lovely right up until like the very last second where they kind of like fade her out and then crossfade into the next verse. And I instead was like, of building and keeping momentum. Right. Instead of it being a, a high point that you can launch off of into the next verse, it becomes this sort of swell that dwindled to nothing. And then they started from ground zero into the next verse, which is a creative decision that you can make. And they did make, but again, Maggie's crescendo is one of the hallmarks of this song. It's one of the recognizable things about a chorus line that makes it a chorus line. And it just feels like at this point, we've taken all of those things that like, 
make the show recognizable and like reduced them or ditched them completely or made the opposite creative decision. And it doesn't make any sense to me. It's all the stuff that makes the show successful that makes people love it, right? It's all like the really poignant, iconic, memorable moments of the show and you've you've gone the other direction or like removed them entirely. And it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. No, it just, I don't know. And we end up rounding out the number. Um, I also, I don't know if this is a taste thing or what. I didn't much enjoy the vocal balance between the three of them. There wasn't me either. much of a blend. There wasn't, you know, I just. I have the note later in my, in my notes. It's towards the end of the show, but like they really cast dancers first for this. Yeah, they did. And I know that a lot of the acting right off the top here is meant to be very, like, canned and forced and rehearsed, and it's supposed to feel that way. But even later, there's only one, maybe, like, two moments where I'm like, oh, they had actors in this movie. Yeah. Because the rest of it is, like, not great. No, and a lot of the vocal moments are yeah, it, it, it's not got, great. And, it's yeah. got that very, like... Uh, abrasive timbre that was popular in musical theater in the in the eighties, um, where everything is very like kind of synthy and like very like forward, chest belty. So some of it feels strained or even forced, and that was kind of the timbre of the shows at the time. But it doesn't translate to film very well. It's different when you can hear it in in the texture of someone's voice when you're hearing them live, but when you're hearing it on film. It just feels unrefined and and painful. Yeah, it just, it doesn't, any one of these moments, I'm like, oh, okay, so this person is, I can tell that based off of the way this song was written, this is supposed to be able to be a belter and someone who can really go for it, like Maggie. And there were moments. There are certain certainly moments in this movie that are musically delightful. Most of them... Are the the word I I come back to is strained. Yeah, it's a very like tense, uh, wide, forced sound. Yeah, it's not very pleasant. No, so that number rounds out, and then the next person up to talk is Christine. So Christine, who I was shocked made it through to this point anyway. I was shocked too. Even during the audition parts, she was dropping things. Like, and fucking things up and not... And I'm like, how are you here? Yeah. You know, I just... Whatever. So, she's married to Alan. Al. Al DeLuca. And we found out earlier that Al is 28 and she is freshly 18. And they're married. And they're married. Yeah. And I hated that. And I it, had a crush on DeLuca until I did the math and then I didn't. Yeah... Yeah. Because their whole relationship feels very weird because she gets asked to talk about why she started dancing. And she just is like, oh, I don't know. And then he's like, well, you started dancing because... Right. You know, whispering right. and Alice feeding in the back, her. like, feeding her answers. And, and, and I, like, I get the impression that's probably how she got through the audition, too, is that Al kind of guided her and told her, like, what she could fuck up and what she couldn't to get through. Right. Because he knows what he's doing. Right. Because we find out here that Al has worked with Zach before and 
we take this moment in here to go from the two of them talking about why they're here, why they want to do this, why they dance this, that, the other thing, to we go off and see Cassie and I think Sheila for like a hot second and then we flash back to here. Oh yeah, Sheila stepped away to take a smoke break, right? Yeah. She's she's disguised it as a bathroom break, but she's like under the stage smoking. Yeah, (laughs) and then Larry finds her and is like, get your ass ass on stage. stage." She's like, why is it always my ass that's called places? Ha 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 ha. It's a good line. Yeah, it's, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then by the time we get back, we just hear Al being like, I'm straight. Okay, weird flex. Like, yeah. why? I don't know if it's meant to be a, like a funny haha because somebody before him in the line mentioned their sexuality, so he feels the need to like, in a humorous way, like he thinks he's making a funny. And I'm like, I, well, you're married to the gal on stage, and while that doesn't mean that you're straight, it's just a weird thing to point out. It is a weird thing. I to don't point know, out. but I do want to point out since we're talking about it real quick. Um, I love that a chorus line is um is a production that features gay characters without being about gay people. Yeah. It it feels like it's sort of a, a progressive concept right now, right? Like we just had, what was that Disney movie? Strange World? The Strange World? A Strange World? Yeah, something like that. I forget the whole title, but um, but that has a gay lead, but like the story has nothing to do with the sexuality. And that feels like some kind of like 21st century progressive move that we're like normalizing queer characters that are allowed to be more than their identity yada 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 and we but we've been doing it for a while now and this is a super cool like old example of that yeah and i just really appreciate that about this yeah it's one of the things that i love the most about a chorus line we also learned that obviously he al had worked with zach in the past but he tells zach i don't know what you want from me i'm I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm super talented because I'm not, and I'm not this and I'm not that and da da da, whatever. But what I can do is you'll give me something and I will do it consistently every single day, eight week or eight Eight shows shows a week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You show me exactly what to do. I'll give it to you exactly the same eight shows a week consistently. I'm, I'm a very consistent performer. Right. Which is an admirable skill. Right. Um, and then we shift over to Mark and he's asked him about his childhood. He's like, well, that's kind of boring. I had a happy childhood. It was fine. And then he asks him about sex. Oh, sex. He's like, oh, <laughs> sex. Awful sex. Terrible, <laughs> awful sex. So then Mark starts describing that when he was 12, he was curious about sex because no one really talked to him about it. And he went to the library and got a medical book and started looking at male and female genitalia and reading about all of this. And then he talks about his first wet dream and how he like looked up milky discharge. Yeah. Gross. It's not <laughs> gross. It's just that, that term, that phrasing is like hearing it out loud. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he looked it up and it's all the books said gonorrhea. Because he was not able to describe it properly, right? Yeah. And we get a small, small bit of the song Hello 12, Hello 13, Hello Love, which is in the show. Like, in the yeah. actual show is a full number. This, it's always so out of place for me. It just feels, I don't know, not cohesive with the rest of the score. Like, the rest of the show feels 
relatively family friendly. Yeah. And then you have this number, which is like rather lewd and explicit and not in a way that I think is like bad or wrong, but it just feels out of place. I don't know. I, I feel this way about the musical score too, but the the movie also, it just feels like it's included for, I don't know, to what end? I, cause it literally, I think it's like, maybe a verse and part of the chorus. Yeah, it's, not... it's like maybe a minute and a half long in the movie, and, and I just don't know why it's here. And like some of it is the other characters are singing it, but it's their thought singing it. They're not verbally singing it out loud, so I yeah, can't tell I, if I just don't know. Mark I... when Mark is singing it, if he's singing it because it has reached that point of fantasy, right, that happens with musical numbers in musicals. Sure. Or if he's that, actually singing it. You know what I mean? That feels unjustified to me, too. Like, it doesn't feel like our feelings have gotten too big about our sexual experience or memories that we can't speak about it anymore, that we have to sing about it. Right. And so everyone is like, oh, I remember being 12. Oh, I remember being 13. Oh, I remember, yeah, it, you know, it just changes and whatever. And it's I'm just like, one of those okay. things that feels out of place to me. And I, I can't put my finger on how I would change it or what I, what I would do to improve it or to make it make sense. Like, I don't know as a creative director how I would justify the number. It just doesn't make sense to me. No. And then we have another character, um, Richie, that this song kind of shifts into Surprise, Surprise, which was written for the movie and it was written to replace the Hello 12, etc. And also to replace the number Give Me the Ball. Uh. Yeah, I, I did not recognize this number, um, which makes sense because neither of us have seen the movie. Um, so I had to, like, do some Googling real quick, and I had to check in on cast recordings and see if it was, like, just a song I wasn't remembering or if it was written for the movie. Um, it's certainly got the most kind of 80s shine to it. Oh, holy hell, yeah. It also feels a little bit out of place because the rest of the score is just a skosh older um, it's got a very like flash dancey kind of vibe about it. Um, and it was while I was doing the research on this one to see if I was just missing it or what, um, that I realized we skipped the song Sing. Yeah. Sing, I could never really sing, I could never really sing, which is one of my favorite songs. It's a good song. It's I such just, a good song. Yeah. And it's, we just, this movie's what, you said two hours long, a little bit almost, more? Almost two hours long. And it just feels like we've scrapped so much stuff and changed so many things. To what end? For what? For what to purpose? Almost to the detriment of it, I think. Right. We've for some of it scooped spent... out the inside of chorus line in order to to what to fit a time frame. I don't think so. I don't think so because you spent over thirty minutes just doing the first audition. Yeah. Yeah. I just so in this number, Richie is talking about how because they were still talking about sex and he's like well what about your first time and he's like well that was terrible and then this i did it again and it was eh. but the third time is when i realized that like this is what everybody's talking about this is surprise <laughs> surprise this is what everyone's talking about right and it just it's this weird weird number about him having good sex for the first time and then they all kind of end up doing like a weird dance orgy thing yeah which somehow feels more in context and and more suitable to the material than hello 12 yeah for whatever weird reason because like al and 
Christine, his wife, are like walking together and then she ends up staying behind with Richie and then he like looks over at her and is like, oh yeah, that's cool that you're with him. I'm going over here with this person, you know, kind of thing. And so then they pair up differently for dancing and at one point the light shifts to red because it's saucy now. Ooh. And um, Richie hits this high note, this high, high oh, money yes. note. And it, that was a stunning vocal moment. That was a good money note. I I really enjoyed that. Um, and he's like doing these twists and these turns and just fucking going all over the stage. Sweat literally, f- you can see it flying off of his face as he's turning. I mean, holy shit. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. This number was weird to me. It wasn't that it was bad. Because I actually really enjoyed the dancing and I enjoyed Richie singing a lot in this one. It just, it's just a song about sex in the middle of a dance show. All right, fine. Um, at the end of this number, everybody is standing, like shifts slowly back into the line. And then we get this really great overhead shot of everybody standing in line. And then um, the shadow that they cast on back behind them, which is like, you can see that on a lot of promotional stuff for a chorus line, even not just the movie. Intermission transition. So Cassie is waiting upstairs because Larry was like, just go sit in this office and it's whatever. It's a prop room we've been using. Go hang out out there. Stay out of sight. Right. And brought her a sandwich and they're kind of talking a bit. Um, about things and she does has a flashback and back to a show when her and Zach were together and turns out they were romantically involved back in the day. Weird, but fine. Diana. So back downstairs, Diana is talking about the fact that she like went to this performing arts school and did it whatever. And Connie recognizes her finally. It's like, I knew you looked familiar. We went to school together. Right. And so then they start talking about Mr. Carp. Cue the song. Nothing. I love this song. I do too. I also really love that, uh, the actress playing Diana Morales is a Puerto Rican actress. I yeah. looked it up. I love that about this movie. The casting all feels very like conscious and considerate. And uh, I think there's a, the practice of colorblind casting, I think is an outdated idea now. Unless, I mean, it, uh, I feel like it, it's progressed to be uh, color conscious casting. Yeah. As opposed to colorblind casting. Because there was a time in the industry when we were like, oh, we're going to do colorblind casting. So unless race is important to the show, then it doesn't really matter what, what race you are in the character. Like, unless it's important like about the narrative, then we, we just kind of will forego it. Um, and now I feel like we're doing color conscious casting in that, like we're aware that certain roles contribute to certain stigmas. So like people won't cast people of color as villains or slaves or servants. Like that's color conscious casting. And I think that that's a much more progressive step forward. Um, but I do love that because this character like mentions that she's Puerto Rican that it's a Puerto Rican actress. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So in this song, she's singing about the fact that she didn't connect with this acting style that Mr. Carp 
was teaching of like, you're a snow cone, ice cream cone. How do you, how does an ice cream cone feel? Yeah. This like visual visualization technique. Right. And she wasn't connecting with it. And the whole premise is that she ended up leaving because she, she prayed for help. And the answer that came back was this guy doesn't mean anything. His opinion is shit. It's one opinion. Go out, find a better class, find something else that you connect with more because this can't be the only answer, which I absolutely love. I agree. And there's a million ways to get from A to B in the creative world. So like when something doesn't work for you, just go try something else. Yeah. Um, And at the very end of the number, we find out that six months after she had left, Mr. Carp died and she dug down to the bottom of her soul and cried and she felt nothing. Right. And so the end of this song, um, like his funeral frame, you get to make the decision as an actor, whether it's like a, a, a poignant epiphany for the character that like this person who was a, a big part of your creative journey passed away and like it didn't mean anything to you. And uh, so do you have a, a, an epiphany in that way that you didn't feel anything about it? Like you, you tried to cry, but like it didn't mean anything or is it a punchline and that you like attended the funeral and played the grief and did the crying and did the sad, but like you weren't feeling anything. So you didn't, whatever approach he was trying to teach you didn't work and you were a good actress in the end you get to kind of make that call as an actor and it's a fun decision depending on the, the mood of your show and things like that. Um, this actress does not make a decision and just ends the number. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, um, dancers first. Yeah. This is where I had that, that, for uh, a lot of these folks. Yeah. few. They really cast just dancers because it's not really, it's not particularly well sung at the end either. no, and there's no really like clear acting decision being made. The song just kind of ends. Yeah. Um, Disappointing. <laughs> right. And then we get Todd who... Speaking of bad acting oh moments. Oh my God. <laughs> so we get a monologue from Todd. And Todd is a guy who had asked how long is this going to take? Because he has... His waiter job starts at four. And they were like, we'll just call out. And then he starts talking about his wife and his kids and work. And I think that this monologue is supposed to be very poignant and it's kind of scattered thought process, but I think it's supposed to come to a point in one conclusion for people, right? And I watched this back and I still didn't get it. So here's the thing about scattered monologues like this. When you jump from idea to idea on the written page, it means that there are lots of thoughts between each of those verbally articulated sentences and you have to connect them as an actor. Todd doesn't do that here. So we just get sort of a jumbled... There's not even really like a, a, a pause between any of the sentences. It's, they're just kind of chunks of sentence. They're just... It's just words. It's just right. a, a word fountain of sorts that doesn't really lead anywhere or land anywhere. So it ends up not really meaning anything. We just kind of learn a couple of things about him. Like he is a waiter. He has a wife and kids. Like we get a little bit of backstory to fill in the gaps, but like it doesn't mean anything and it should. Right. Because I feel like the connection has to be something about the fact of like, even though he has these, a a wife and kids and he wants to work consistently because he has to for them. 
he still wants to do this and go out and audition, but auditioning is so fucking hard. And I feel like there's got to be something in there for that, but the connection is just not made. Yeah. Ultimately, we should feel sympathy for him and and come to understand something about him and uh, kind of be in his corner and rooting for him. And uh, we aren't by the end of it. No. It's a really poor acting moment. (laughs) Yeah. And then we... So Larry goes out, um, the dance captain, and talks to Zach and is like, hey, before your assistant blows the horn on this whole thing um, and you freak out. Cassie is still here. I told her to stay upstairs um, and we're going to talk afterwards. And Zach's like, well, why is she here? I'm just so fucking confused as to why she's here. And it's because she really needs work. And that's what Larry says. He's like, like, "I, I don't think she's been working much. Yeah. Then we get the number uh, that I finally enjoyed. Oh my God. Thank God. We get Val, um, who sings Dance 10 Looks 3. Okay, you better work, Miss Valerie Clark. She wanted to be a rocket. She shows up and that didn't work out because they're like, her fan kicks are shit. And she's like, my fan kicks are great. They're fucking crazy. And so then she starts talking about going and she's doing all of these auditions and she danced circles around all these other people. And she finally swiped her audition card one time and under dance, it was 10 out of 10. Right. And, but for looks, she got a three out of 10 dance, 10 looks three. It's like to die. And she was like, all right, enough of this. And she went to a doctor and she had her tits done and she had her ass tightened And she had her nose done and she's like, ever since I changed these stupid aesthetic things about my body, all of a sudden I'm being cast a lot more because my talent was always there. They just didn't Just no one wanted to look at me about it. Right. I want to play this role so bad. It's so fun. This is so fun. It's such a great number. Mm -hmm. And she fills it with such life and verve and like, she's such a, she's so conversational in her acting choices that it feels, especially plastered against this, like, really overly rehearsed, canned backdrop with all these other actors, this number just feels so alive. Thank God, because we needed something. Yeah, it's kind of the first time, and I mean, we're like, what, like an hour and a half in right now? Oh, God, yeah. Just a little bit to... less than that, hour and 15, and it's like yeah. the first time we've been genuinely entertained this entire time. Yeah, and it... Con- and we... We both have an eye for choreography and dancing, and so we we appreciate the opening number. We appreciate some of the other things we've seen, but this oh, is the God, first time yeah. we've been entertained. Right, right. So, because that's the hard part about this movie, right, is that so much of it is the dance. So yeah, much absolutely. Of it is, and the dance is nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, no, holy shit. But when you break it up and, and skew out the pacing with all of these and expanded trying, and elevated scenes. And trying to pull this plot together to make it make sense. No, uh, you have to control the pacing. It has to be so much tighter and quicker because it's a concept show. Right. So it has to be entertaining and interesting and the pacing has to be tight and quick and forward. Yeah. And so Connie steps forward and is like, oh, I want my tits done. She's like, just go and get it done, honey. You'll be amazed what happens. And just, I want to point out, Val's got hard nips. <laughs> Pointy nips. From the very top of this movie to the very end, hard nips. She certainly does. And I got to tell you, 
they're dancing their asses off. Ain't no way it's cold. No, no, that's that's a that's a that's permanent a surgical, placement. A surgical choice. <laughs> permanent placement. Hard nips. One thing I don't love about uh, Miss Valerie Clark is uh, she's very very thin. Like you can see her ribs pretty much this entire movie. Even and, in a relaxed pose. And especially for a character whose whole number is about how how she augmented her body to be more desirable. I, I don't love that I can see her ribcage the entire time. Yeah. Um, I think it sends the wrong message. Um, and especially, I mean, not at the time, I think. No, not at the time. But now, especially, I don't love that about the character. And if there were ever to be a remake of this on film, it's something I would love to address. Yeah. That maybe we have a, a stronger, healthier body type on stage for this character who is meant to be like the epitome of chorus girl castable beauty. Exactly. I think that's something we should address. Yeah. So Paul is next and he doesn't want to talk. And he's like, I don't know. It's fine. I don't really want to talk. Da da da, whatever. And Zach is asking him questions and trying to like get him to open up a little bit more. And he's like, okay, well, tell me about your family. They're fine. Do you have siblings? Two sisters. One died when I was 14. And he's like, well, tell me about that. No. No. Which is a completely valid response in regard to that question. You don't get to poke at people's trauma at an audition, especially when you haven't created an environment. Where people feel safe to be able to do sort of. That sort of thing. Exactly. I mean, it's it's just unreasonable. And again, it's just bad directing. Right. I mean, I know you're at an audition and you haven't had a chance to really, like, facilitate that kind of environment just yet. But but that means you don't get to ask these questions then. It means you get to get to know these actors and do another round of callbacks or this or that or the other thing. Or, And I know it's, it's within the confines of a musical and we have a time limit, but, like, that's just not acceptable. Right. And he, at one point, acts like he's going to leave and... Diana tells him no. And God, I wish my Spanish was better because they have a conversation. And I, I feel like what I got out of that conversation was don't leave and don't give this man the power to make you feel like you don't belong here because he's fucking wrong. Yeah. And then she follows it up in English with fuck him. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's definitely the sentiment that she's like, you're not going to let, don't let this grizzly man take this opportunity away from you. You get your ass back on that line. Yeah, you've been here this entire time. You made it to this line. Fuck him. So Paul has a famous monologue in this show Mm -hmm. that is like one of my favorite monologues of all time. And I didn't know where it ended up in the movie because, again, this was my first watch through. So when they kind of ended the conversation with Paul, I was devastated. I was like, if they cut Paul's monologue from this movie, I will riot. I was so sad at the end of the scene. It's okay. It comes later. Yeah, but I didn't know. I promise. I was just really mad. No, I know. I, no, I get that. And at one point, someone's like, okay, what are you guys looking for? No one has told us how many people you're looking for. No one has anything. And we find out eventually that they're looking for four and four. So four boys, four girls. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, Judy Monroe, who's like 44 dancers. And they're like, no, four and four. Well, she's a fucking idiot who didn't remember her number and frankly shouldn't be on this line. And I can't keep talking about this because I'm just going to get pissed. <laughs> Numbers aren't her strong suit. Apparently. Oh my God. Evidently. So they're going to be working on the one routine, right? That's what they're going to be working on. Um, upstairs. 
Cassie is talking to Larry uh, and he, cause he brought her a sandwich and they're talking about how she left her relationship with Zach. So we do find out it was romantic romance. They, yeah, I just mess. And she's like, well, I, I left for a job, but he never called. So he equally left this relationship and which is a fair assessment, I think. Right. And in this moment, Zach's assistant comes up and like slides her a note and it's the number of his financial advisor, whomever is in charge of Zach's money. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why the fuck did he give me this? And it's so that way she can call and get money. Sure. And she is pissed. Which is fair. Right. Because she's not looking for a handout. She's looking for a job. Right. So we come downstairs. And now, before we leave this room, I do have to make <laughs> note on the table in this room, because again, it's a prop room that they're using as an office. There's this little horrendous. <laughs> it's like a horrendous wizard goblin gremlin thing on the table in the poofiest, weirdest bridal gown. Yeah, it's like a it's like a purple too. sparkly. <laughs> I hate it. And it's only like two feet tall. It's like a little like. I don't know. They like dressed it up. I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at, but it's present and I hate it. It's gotta, it's gotta be an inside joke of someone. It or must something. be. Or I like, hate it. Cause I was like, what possible production could this little itty bitty ugly thing be left over from? Like, it's not a recognizable prop from any kind of show. No, but he is present. And I hate it. We simply can't leave this room without talking about him. Well, he's <laughs> ugly and I hate him. So we go, oh, God, we're going to have to talk about her briefly. Judy is talking about how she shaved her sister's head. She's like in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of her conversation, and Cassie comes flying down the back stairs, and is like, "What in the fuck?" Like essentially <laughs> to Zach. And she doesn't say that, but no, like, she doesn't yes. say that. But that's the sentiment. And Zach's like, "All right, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to do this." He sends everybody downstairs to work on lyrics for the number one, which is going to be the last number that they use for the audition today. Oh my God. Cassie is like, I don't want your fucking money. I want a chance to audition for this show. So that I can have a job. So that way I can have a job. Do I need to make money? Yes, absolutely. Have I always been kind of a vagabond... Like subletting apartments and going this, that place, this place, and the other place. Yes. Has everything always been up in the air? Yes, absolutely. How fucking dare you try and just pay me, pay off, me off and get me to leave? Yeah, like I, I wasn't asking for you to sign a check, Zach. Right. And she bursts into Let Me Dance For You, which replaced the number The Music in the Mirror. <sighs> Justice for Music in the Mirror. It's, again, like... The thing we look forward to seeing in Chorus Line is this insane burst of dance from Cassie. We finally get to see her flex her chops and, like, prove to us why she was a leading lady and why Zach, like, won't cast her in the chorus. It's her chance to shine. It's this insane, iconic number. And we we just, there are, again, there are sparkles of it here in this rewritten number. But it's not the same, and it's not what we were looking forward to. Yeah. So it's this thing where she's singing and she'll break out into dance and Zach 
is talking to her through the song yeah, and is like, you're too good to be in the chorus. I'm not doing this. You're going to shine and put everybody to shame. And I'm that I'm not having that. She's like, I haven't worked in over a year. I need a job. I am a dancer. I need somewhere to dance. Let me dance for you. She does sing and dance the pants off of this number. Oh, she does. Cassie. Cassie she swings hard on this. Miss Darbus works her. Pussy oh, out she on certainly number. does. Um, and during this time, we get flashbacks from her perspective and from his of the last time that they worked together and were together. I hate the flashback. I, it's so dumb. Don't date your dancers. I don't. And we see that awful fucking hair again. (laughs) I, I didn't need any of it. You just shouldn't be in romantic relationships with people you're actively creating art with. Like, if they are your coworkers, if they are the people that you go every day to make a paycheck with, you should not be romantically involved with them. Right. And then he yells to, like, stop the number. Yeah, God. Like, screams at her. And then she, like, stops and freezes. And then he's like, go downstairs, work on the lyrics, you can audition. And she's like, oh my God. And like goes and runs off. And I think that the dancing and the acting here are, and the singing is good, right? I I think everything is, is really nice here. And this is one of the first, and I think only times where the emotion builds to the point that it makes sense that we burst into song. I think so too. I think so too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably it. Dance 10 Looks 3 feels justified to me. It feels justified, definitely. It's not that it felt out of place or didn't make sense. But this is the first sort of um, sort of structural climax that I think makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's her audition. Paul comes from downstairs, comes up on stage, and is like, Hey, so because I didn't share, am I not getting the job? I love Paul so much. Am I already, like, not... Not that he's asking, like, am I... Even if he shared, he wouldn't have been guaranteed it. But is he already out of the running because he didn't? Right. And Zach, you know, kind of talks to him about it. And Paul starts to open up and share, right? About his childhood, about why he started dancing. Um, And he went to a movie theater with his dad all the time. And Zach even makes a comment like he brought a child to that place. Yeah. Because I think he's referencing um, when we talk about movie theaters, there were certain theaters that used to be a place for people to exchange explicit favors. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Paul says, all my favorite movies were always the musicals but I would have to go and sit in the front row to watch them because my eyes weren't so good. I wear contacts now, but I, could, I couldn't see that far away when I was a kid. So I sat in the front row away from my dad. And he says, older gentlemen would come and sit with me and they would play with me. Right. And he says it in sort of an off-the-cuff, innocent sort of way. But the implication here is that there's uh, less than appropriate behavior going on with a child. Right. Right. It's it's a sort of implied essay scenario. Right. And this is when he's 10, 11, and then it like moves forward to um, through that and talks about his first job when he was 15 and he ended up auditioning for a drag show 
they ended up going and shaving his legs and he became a drag queen. Right. right? They didn't didn't care how well he danced. They said, "Uh, we don't care if you can dance, show us your legs. Right. And he, he says something about the end about like, it was a job. It was the asshole of the industry, but it was a job. Right. And, uh, he, this is, this is his monologue is the, the brilliant, beautiful, touching Paul's monologue, which I love so much. And, uh, he goes on to talk about his parents coming to see his first show and, uh, and how before they went on before, cause they were going to go to Chicago to tour right before they left on tour and his parents wanted to bring his luggage to him and they didn't know what the show was about. And, and he saw his parents while he was in costume, all decked out in like this thing, this feather headdress with gold balls all over it. And he didn't want to see them like that. He thought it would be too embarrassing. And so he runs past them really quickly. And after the show, he finds his parents and his mom is gobsmacked. She can't say anything. And his dad doesn't know what to say. And uh, on their way out of the theater, his dad turns to the producer, the director, somebody the in producer. charge. His, says, his mom was like, make sure you eat well. And his dad, on the way out, stops the producer and says, take care of my son. And it's so moving. It's just such a brilliant monologue. And Paul says, that's the first time he ever called me that. This is a dream role of mine. I want to play Paul so bad. And this is, I mean, this is not like a Valerie Clark situation. This is like a, an actual role that I could potentially play. Right. And I, I just sob every time I hear this monologue. It's so good. So it's this really beautiful moment between the two of them. And it's... It's the first time we see kind of like humanity and understanding out of Zach. Right. Because he takes this and, and handles it very gently as he, Paul is opening up, which I appreciate because yeah. finally... So, so Larry comes up and kind of is like, hey, sorry to interrupt, but we are kind of done with the lyrics and ready to move on. And every, so then everything's good. Like, things get wrapped up with Paul. Larry has everybody come upstairs. They are going to be working on the combination for one, right? Which, by the way... They like pull different groups of people to work on this and it's another portion of the audition, right? Christine keeps dropping shit left and right. Yeah, they have hats at this point. Yep. They keep dropping hats, which is like, put it in your hand and don't drop. I don't know why you're, why you keep losing your hat. And she's like not really dancing. And it's kind of, it just, it's funny to me because it's, she's played by Bob Fosse's daughter. (laughs) I don't know. There's some, there's just something about it. It is a funny irony. Right. So Cassie is in this too, right? Auditioning. Right. She's in the number and Zach keeps like raging out at her because she keeps raging, popping her chin or rolling her head or like flipping her face in a funny direction. Or like adding, because his direction at the beginning of this was, I want you to do this choreo and I want you to become one. No extra flares. This is not for you to stand out. This is for you to blend in. Right. No individuality. I want all of the same angles on your limbs. Like it should, you should look like one person. Right. And in her doing these things, it's making her stand out, which was not a part of the direction. But also when he is shouting direction at other people of like, oh, fix your head, fix this, don't do that. 
He's doing it in that kind of tone. Which is how you with, should. It's how you actively give uh, direction without like interrupting the process. Right. right. But with Cassie, he is screaming at her. There's like a weird rage behind it. And it keeps building. And it's, yeah, it gets very aggressive. Um, the girls get done with the combo. He has the boys step in and do it and has Cassie do it with them too. Keeps yelling at her and just, it builds to this most ri- just ridiculous shouting. And then he calls her down and... Like off the stage. Uh, yeah, off the stage and talks to her and then just ha- is like, turn around, look at that. Is this actually what you want? Do you actually want to be a part of the chorus? And they have this confrontation between the two of them that's definitely about the history of the two. And he's like, why did you leave me? Yeah, it suddenly takes a turn and it's like no longer about what they're doing on stage. It's about their interpersonal relationship. Right. At, Cassie pulls out some acting chops here. Oh, That it's are good. so impressive. It's good. And... She's like, I left for a job. You knew that, but you, and she says, you left me long before I left you. And he's like, what are you talking about? We were living together. You guys, they were not only romantically involved. They got to the point of living together. So here's my thing. If you have a romantic relationship with someone and then you end up being involved in the same project, like after the fact, I think that's fine. I think if you are a person, especially if you communicate well with a partner, that can be a very useful asset on stage and and behind the curtain. They met at an audition in the rehearsal process. That's inappropriate. Yeah. Like the way that this relationship works is like not healthy and they shouldn't be pursuing projects together anymore. No, no. And so it, it comes down to, she's like, I left for this job in Hollywood because I felt like you were constantly working and doing your directing thing, which is what I loved for you and what I, what I wanted for you. But I felt in order to kind of be at the same level as you, I had to go off and try and do this. Right. I had to go somewhere else to make myself worth it. Right. And she's like, you also didn't call me after I left and didn't this, that, the other thing. So they kind of have a reckoning with that. And she just, she walks away and is like, we need to be done. And they're working on the tap combo. Which, Connie is fucking up left, right, and sideways. Yeah, Connie's no it's good like at It's like she's never danced a day in her life. And this comes from someone who also is a very bad tap dancer. If you can't tap dance, don't try and fake it. Yeah, Larry, Come was, on. Larry was like, if you're, gonna f- if you're gonna try and fake your way through this, at least smile. Yeah. I Come mean, jeez. Yeah. While they're doing the tap combo is when we get what I did for love. Now, this I is... I hate the segue into this song. Because the segue is them tapping underneath her singing what I did for love. Not to like the same rhythm, not to the same. It just continues in a muted, at a muted volume underneath the scoring for what I did for love. It should have completely faded out. Of and course not it should there. have. Even though she's in the theater and this, that, the other thing, I get it. But it just, it hurt the number. The number was shortened so much. It's like 45 seconds. And also, Cassie did not do that great of a job vocally with it. No, because it requires a softer timbre, and she really, like, she is a beltress. Right. And that's great, and she sounds amazing when she does it, but this was not the time for it. It called for uh, for a softer hand. And so this is possibly, arguably, 
the singular best ballad in all of musical theater history. Right. And the premise of this song in the original format... In, yeah, and it's an original context. ...is what performers do out of their love for performing and to get on stage and be there, the things that they give up, the things right. that they miss out on in, in other portions of their life because of this. It's about every family holiday you have to skip because you're performing for other people on Christmas Day. It's about, you know, the weddings you have to miss and the once-in-a-lifetime things that you can't be at because this is your job. Right. And in this context... She is singing about the fact that she left her relationship. Right. She's singing about the fact that she, like, left New York to, like, better herself or to prove herself or whatever it is for this relationship. It's about a man now. Which just fucking ruined it. Stop it. When stuff is already about something else, when, when this is... Even if she wanted to be, like... One of the things that I missed out on was this kind of long-term relationship because of my love for dance and this, that, the other thing. That'd be one way of spinning it. This is specifically about her love for him. Yeah, the reframing is so sour. And again, it like, you've, you've taken the part out of it that makes people compelled to watch a chorus line. You've scrubbed the chorus lininess from the song. And for what? I... So it would fit into a narrative? Like, it, it... A lot of the detriment, I think, to this, the reworking of it into film, feels like an attempt to, like, wash out the concept musical aspect of it. And that's just not what it is. Like, you have to let it breathe and be a concept musical. It just... It isn't enough. It's so disappointing. And it was... It was such a crushing letdown because I looked forward to this song the entire movie. I adore this song. I cry every time I listen to it. It's played a really specific role in a lot of emotional moments in my life. And this was so disappointing. Yeah. And at what kind of ends this number and catapults us into this next section is, oh, mm-hmm. Paul, our dear sweet baby child, Paul, the cartilage in his knee snaps. And when I say snaps... Like you, you audibly hear, hear it. Yeah. And he goes, he sinks like a lead balloon because goddamn. Oof. And this song, like the song before it, is like, okay, what I did for love. Snaps his cartilage. And he's like, well, that's it. Cassie comes down and Zach like runs up and is like, firing off a phone number at Larry and is like, call this number, call this guy, let him know we've got someone coming in. So it's the name, it's this number of this doctor who is like famous for like knee surgeries for, for performers and fixing them so that way they can possibly work again. Right. But possibly being the, the key word there. Right. Because the reason this moment is so like devastating and quick is because like, this is a career ending injury. And earlier we saw... At the very beginning, we saw Paul icing his knee and was like, oh, I had a previous injury. Yeah. And then, somebody even mentions, I think it's Sheila in this scene mentions that like, oh, he has a it's previous. It's either Sheila or Diane. Yeah. Someone mentions he has a knee injury and like, and it's like a recurring problem for him. Right. And they're like, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Right. Like he's had this problem before and Zach's like, no, it's already swelling. Like we need to get him off he his needs to knee. Be gone. We need to get him out of here into that doctor. Like 
as quickly as possible. Sheila is like, all right, who's got this kind of pill? Who's got a Valium? Yeah, she's like, get this kid some fucking Quaaludes. (laughs) So they go off and get it. And then this sweet summer child, Mark, who is like 17, I think he had said, was like, are we sure we can give him that? And she's like, shut the fuck up. I took three of these before lunch. <laughs> Sheila's seasoned. And again, this is her experience shining through, but I've literally had nightmares about like this exact thing happening. A, a kind of injury where you won't be able to do this again. Right. That's the thing about this industry is your body is your medium. And like, if you don't take care of it or heaven forbid, something like this happens, even when you are taking care of it. I mean, that's the end. That's, there's no going back. There's no other solution. There is no magic pill. There is no covering the symptoms. Like, it's over now. No. And it's so devastating. And and while they do handle this moment kind of quickly and you can kind of feel the weight of the consequences in this moment. And specifically a look between Zach and... And Cassie. And Cassie. There's a look that is like a knowing of like... Right. That everyone's talking saying, about it like... like it's going to Get him a doctor. Okay. Like, get him some drugs. Like, no one... Pick him up. Don't let him put weight on it. The and everyone's like, calm. this and know that this it's, is the end It's for the him. end. He's not coming back. Like, this is the end of his career. And while that is handled to an extent, I feel like it could have gone further. And there maybe could have been more done as far as like we could have underscored it to a point and then like when it got serious dropped the underscoring or or something i it just feels like a mishandled situation like the weight of it isn't present enough for me and i think after he left after they carried him out and whatever i feel like there could have been something that could have helped with that is a longer pause yeah we do get a moment where like zach gets up and and leaves the stage to kind of get rehearsal back in motion and everyone kind of stands on stage and just stares at him mm-hmm. so i so the uh, the ingredients are all there it just feels undercooked to me like we, we could right. have pushed it in a little bit further in the right directions and it would have been the more meaningful scene that like first of all paul who's just had this breakdown and had this really emotional moment he's maybe the character that we have the most sympathy for right now is just fully taken out of the running, like probably permanently, not just for today at this audition, but forever. And the weight of that isn't present enough for me. I just feel like we could have gone further. All the pieces are there. It's just not put right, quite right in the right puzzle. Right, because what happens is Zach, and I don't know why I want to keep calling him Nick, which is <laughs> not it. Zach stands on stage and turns and looks at everybody and just goes... What would you do if you couldn't dance anymore? I welled up at the question. And everybody is kind of, you know, there's... Connie says, well, I'd I'd go on to live a normal life. I'd, you know, whatever. And then she's like, well, I'd drop my diet. You know, kind of. Yeah, some of it's kind of tongue-in-cheeky and like... And, you know, a few people like... Sheila talks about her daughter for a hot second. Yeah, and we she, get a nice moment from Sheila. She does have this really nice moment where she's talking about her daughter, and she says she's nine years old, and and she loves me, and she hates me, and God help her, she wants to be a dancer, and you can see like there's like joy and grief in it, and it's it's a really actually lovely acting moment, and they're few and far between, but I feel like like this moment, um, there's a moment with Cassie in the confrontation when she's talking about her breakup with Zach, and then Paul's monologue. And they all happen in, like, the last, like, 20, 30 minutes of this movie. But they're really the only, like, 
meaty acting moments that really make a difference. Everything else is so canned and stale and, and hollow. Those moments really shine, but they're so few and far between. It's just hard to grab at them. Yeah. You know? And BB actually talks about the fact that right before this audition, she had been in the hospital for an extended time because of a breakdown. And that's kind of all we hear from her on that. But she's like, I told the doctors that I was going to this audition today and they told me it was too soon. But being here right now, it's, I've already won. Whatever happens, the fact that I made it this far, I I have won today. Even if I don't make it. And what a beautiful perspective to have. I mean, right. the truth is any of us who even get the chance to audition should count our stars and our blessings. And there are flaws in that and there are holes in that. But like every day you get to audition is the chance to perform for someone, even if it's not an audience who, you know, it, it doesn't result in a paycheck that lets you pay your bills or whatever. I, I, you know, that's the flaw. But it's such a gift to be able to share stories, even with just a room full of people to audition for. Yeah. And that that's such an important perspective to hang on to. Yeah. Then Zach heads out and is like, all right, everybody on the line. And it's come down to this, right? It's, now it's the, the tension has truth. built. And he starts calling names and he says, Judy, Don, Greg, Sheila. At one point in here, he says Diana. And then he stops and he's like, nope. No, sorry. Not Diana. Back up. Sorry, Diana. Back on the line. Alan, Christine, Connie, and Maggie. And they all step forward and it's this tension of they're like, I can't tell if this is really good news or really bad news that I stepped forward. Right. Because it's even, it's an even number on both lines right now, right? So you don't know who is who, but you know one of these groups of people is going to get cut. Right. And, and this is kind of the hinge, really, of the whole story. This is the moment that we should be building to really the whole the whole time is whether or not you get to have this moment whether or not your hopes and dreams come true it's kind of the point so the rest of the story should be building to that moment and should be informing us about these people and building sympathy and and widening their uh their character it should be about developing those characters and getting to know them and we just don't do enough of that here and this moment is still powerful and meaty. And, and again, it is sort of the hinge of the story. So it, this is, I think, where the narrative, what we talked about earlier, like the narrative kind of carries the story. Like the, the project itself does the work and the medium kind of detracts from it in this occasion. This is what we're talking about. This is the occasion. This is the story that we're building to. And this is the point of, of the whole, the crux of the situation, if you will. Right. This is the carry part that the musical does for us. And this is a wonderfully poignant moment. There's a lot of like tension and, and we're looking at this line of characters and we have a reason to root for most of them. We've had some kind of exploration of, of pretty much everybody on the line with, I think, rare exception. I think uh, Bobby or Matt, one of the two. Whoever talks about all their childhood with all the lies... Yeah, um, Bobby. So on the so the people who step forward don't make it, and they get dismissed. Which is devastating, because they think, you can tell from their reactions, they think they're being called forward because they're, they've gotten because the they've job. Made so it. they're full of light when Diana has to step forward, and she's like, oh, great. And then she gets called back to the other line, you see the light go out behind her eyes, like it's devastating. Right. 
But then that realization of, oh my God, he almost called it wrong. I almost like didn't make it in because he almost put me on the wrong line. Right. right? I, it's this tension and, and this should be what we drive to and we don't do it in this movie, which is so disappointing. No. And I think it's because there's not enough connection made with each of the individual characters right. throughout this movie. Because again, we were trying to, I think we were trying to pull apart the concept part of it. Right. And, but that's what drives to this point is the, the lack of structure. It's about the characters and not the plot. So, so I think that's a, I don't know, a lost opportunity. With that being said, I do sob. Yeah. I cried during this whole moment when they're trying to figure out who's who. And like when they leave the theater and the people who like didn't make the cut are like one throw, someone throws their arm around another person. And like, you can tell they're trying to hold each other up. Like we've been there. Yeah. Right. We all get a no at some point in this industry and it sucks and it hurts and it's devastating, but we always come back or you get the yes and you get the chance to like tell stories with other people who care about it. Like, and that's an equally moving sensation in the other direction. Like I I just, there's a lot of feelings in this moment for people who have been performers who can see themselves in all of these moments and all of these characters. So I am crying at this point. Sobbing. (laughs) Um, And then we get the number one. Oh, and these costumes. The finale kids. The finale costumes are so glamorous. Jesus Christ. So, the one thing that really stood out to me, right, is the gals are in, you know, their iconic little... Gold leotards. Leotards. One's got the suit jacket with the hat. With the hat. The the gals' tights have the tuxedo stripe down the side of them, but it's just glitter. That's such a spectacular detail. Brilliant. I mean, it is really great costume because work. It, right, because it brings the like the tuxedo pant that the guys are wearing in to the gal's costume as well. Right. Which, oh, stunning. <laughs> stunning. Glamour. So in this moment, we get like the, the people who were actually cast, right? And then we get the addition of the entire cast that we had grown to get to know over this movie. And then we get damn near everybody that auditioned. Yeah, we see everybody kind of from the opening number. There's a moment, too, where, like, the group doubles. Like, you can see it's the group that got picked, but then suddenly it's the group that wasn't picked. Mm -hmm. And then it's both groups together. At one point, they dance up towards the mirror. Like, they go upstage, and they meet their reflections, and then the reflections turn around and walk out of the mirrors with them, which was a very, very cool trick. Very cool. And so we're like doubling the, the the number of ensemble constantly until the stage is filled with these gold costumes. We end up with eight lines of 17 dancers each. That's so many. The mirror trick we do in the staging of this is really, really awesome and is absolutely movie magic. Oh, it's so good. It's really good film. Um, And then from here, obviously, we get the iconic, you know dancing that happens during the song one right with the hat choreography and the kick lines and the yada 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 and then they're kick lining all the as like everything kind of like pans out and up out of the theater through seeing people's headshots and their names right the the actual actors the credits start to roll and there's still this like zoomed out picture in the middle of the screen as the cast just kick lines to oblivion through all of the credits jesus couldn't be me. Couldn't. I couldn't, I just simply couldn't kick line that long. Nope.
fun time our first round through. We haven't done one that we both haven't seen in a while. Right. I think since like Halloween. Yeah. Was the last time we did something neither of us have seen. Oh no, we did some over Christmas neither of us had seen. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, what do we rate it? Ugh. It's going to be harsh. Oh God. I can feel it. I give it a two. Two. Yeah. Yep. Look at us go. Because not only is There's it not... so much wrong with it. <laughs> it's, it's, we took all the things that worked in the musical out, and then we didn't replace it with anything good. In fact, we used film kind of to our detriment. And the fact that, I'm sorry, that beginning audition did not need to take 33 minutes. No, and I can understand expanding it for sure. I can understand oh, making, yeah. like, beefing it up a bit for film. If Absolutely. You wanted, if you wanted to beef it up to really make it be like, this is like a painstaking, like, long process, I get that. I totally get that. Holy fuck, though. It was too much, and, and then it took away from other things. We cut several numbers from the show. We reduced what I did for love down to nothing. Trash. It's, Trash and yeah, garbage, it's frankly. Just, it's a two for me. The only thing that keeps it at a two is some of Cassie's vocals where she does some really strong belting yep. and the choreography. And a very, 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 very few uh, really nice acting moments. Yeah, I can count it on half of one hand. But sometimes, <laughs> well, sometimes some of that too is like, oh, this this was a really nice moment. And some of that is like, we're grasping right. for this straws was, because... This was like a mediocre moment surrounded by garbage. Right. Like, that's how I feel about Dance, Dance 10 Looks 3. Because if you look at that number out of context, like, if you were to watch it as a YouTube video, you'd be like, that would have been fine. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. What a bubbly fun. But not like, oh, thank God. No, I, I, and that's happened to me before where, like, I've seen this number out of context and I was like, okay, how fun. Right. Then I saw it in the movie and I was like, oh, what a reprieve. A breath of fresh air. But it's not that great. No. It's just great by comparison, you know? So it's a two for me. Shall we give it the Biddy test? The BD, the Binny Drake. Pass, fail. Fail. I just, it's one of these things. I think it fails. It's one of these things, right? So like. And it's a dance show, so that's fair. It's, I mean, it's not like there's that much vocal stuff to really grasp at, ultimately. Dance wise, pass the house boots down. Oh yeah. Oh, they dance the, the bananas out of it. But when you are adding in. The vocals and it's the acting. It's just not quite there. And the few the few really bright moments we do get, they kind of mishandled technically. Like Maggie's crescendo, you know? So there's all these moments that could have been great, could have been spectacular, but often the blend is off, the balance is off. Sometimes we're using the wrong timbre. Uh, there's just not that much vocally to grab at to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not it. There's a reason that this movie was a flopperella. Yeah. Which sucks because, again, this is one of my favorite musicals of all time. And to find out the movie is a two and a fail? Uh, I, I, don't really... think that we've, I don't think we've failed anything in a while. It's been a minute since we failed anything. This was such a disappointment to me. I just, it wasn't... Want to let down? It just, it, uh, With that yeah. being said, would you, would you be interested in a remake? Yes. Who would you cast? No idea. I, I don't know either. My gosh. I don't know because they people. have to be, because they have to dance yeah. so fucking well. And a lot of well, what I would know is more vocal stuff than, than anything. I mean, I think this deserves maybe like the, the Broadway cast treatment. Yeah. In a, in a movie format. I would love a pro shot. I would love a pro shot of this. Give me a pro shot. Like a really glamorous updated pro shot. Yeah. Um, 
Ross Lynch was in the the Rose Bowl performance of this. Oh, that makes sense. He would be great in this. Oh, what's the what's the short Italian guy's name? He was in Newsies. He's in a Bronx Tale too. No, I, I I don't I don't remember his name. Um, he's super hot and very talented. He's done some film stuff too, some TV. He'd be great. You know, I find those people. Find the people who have the crossover skills and and do this again. Do this again, and it, you, my God, please have actors. Would love to see Allison Reed in again as maybe like Zach's assistant. Oh my God! A great cameo. I would love to see someone who has a maybe a, a bit more experience. Or even as a, if they wanted to gender swap Zach, that'd be brilliant. I would love to see that because uh, because again, I think a lot of the aggression from Zach comes off as very like overly emotional, like not stable enough man yeah. to be in charge. And I would love to see a more controlled, intentional portrayal rather than just like angry. Call Darbus. What is she doing? Yeah, call Miss Darbus. Um, I think that's actually a brilliant idea. And uh, yeah, I, I would just love to see this done again with a bit more precision and a bit more care to the original source material. Yeah. Well, how about a fortune cookie to round out our day? Yes, please. So today's fortune cookie comes from Terrence Mann, and it's one of my favorite uh, musical theater quotes. The quote is, movies will make you famous, television will make you rich, but theater will make you good. Mm. And I just feel like the producers on this needed to hear that because there's I also think so that, much that doesn't work here. That the director needed to understand the story he was trying to tell. I agree. I, I just think it was handled in the wrong direction and I think it was maybe handled in haste. Um, and I think maybe they got ahead of themselves wanting this to be for film, but it succeeded as a musical and then they tried to backtrack or make it about something else. But it worked the first time, right? It worked as a musical, so why bother? I wish they would have. I wish they would have known that. Mm. You know. Well, where can they find us? All right, folks. You guys can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Backstage Biddies. You can email us your listener requests at backstagebiddies at gmail um, You can also find us. Please actually go find us on Podvine. Um, that is a new place where you can find our podcast to listen to it. You can also rate and actually leave a commented review right on there. If we get 10 followers on there, then we can submit to be a featured podcast. Which would be super cool. That would be so cool. And we know for a fact that we have more than 10 of you out there. Yeah. So if only half of you do it, more of you have to do it than that, but... Yeah, please, 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 please. So equal parts, we know there's more than 10 of you, but all 20 of you need to participate. But also, (laughs) not all of you know each other. So (laughs) pretend that the other one, the others didn't do it and and you're really the best biddy. Assume that you have to be the one to engage because otherwise we just won't have engagement. And that would be so sad. Where can they find you? You guys can find me on the Instagram and at the TikTok at Binny Biddy. Where can they find you? You can find me somewhere on the internet. Just go looking. Drake Leverance. That's, That's me. Drake underscore L-E-W-E-R-E-N-Z as in zebra. Drake Leverance. <laughs> Thanks, babe. You're welcome. Uh, okay, well, let's get out of here. All right. Um, bye. Bye.